Welcome everybody to the Movement Project, where we're going to dive deep into the rabbit hole of how movement impacts everybody's life. Movement from the pros to the average Joes. Everybody moves. And I'm your host, the one and only Dr. Jamie Moore. It's time to dive right in. So let's go get it. Hey, everybody. On this week's premiere first episode of my podcast, The Movement Project, I have my good friend, Simon Brassier, on the podcast with me. He's a physical therapist in New York City, and he's talking about his transition and life in Manhattan and New York City as a physical therapist during the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you all enjoy it. It's a good one. Simon, what's going on, man? It's been a while. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. It's been it's been a while trying to get us to, to do this, to get in touch with all this COVID schedule so many, and all. So many stuff. Zoom meetings. Dude, it's ridiculous, right? It doesn't um, so, so everybody, this is my buddy Simon. I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, let him tell you a little bit about him. Take it away, sir. All right. So uh, if you hear the accent, that's because I'm French. So I'm, I'm French and American, so don't get bothered by that. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a big coffee enthusiast, fitness enthusiast Cheers, as well. Right here. Um, and a little bit of a nerd myself. Like I think everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast um, love reading about you know critical thinking. The book right now that I have is like Skeptic's Guide to Criticism. So it's just about like conspiracy theories. I mean, the most central evidence time. and. Stuff like that. So that's what I do on my free time. Um, I graduated from Quinnipiac in 2016 with an athletic training degree. And then I stayed there to get my doctorate of physical therapy. And um, I also played Division One soccer there. And right now I'm in Long Island City, New York. So we were in the uh, epicenter of COVID. Things are slowly getting better, but that's, uh, that's about me. Yeah, and so for anyone that's wondering, no, somehow Simon and I did not ever cross paths at Quinnipiac. We were both there for seven years and somehow did not meet until after. And we actually except met. For one, except for, what, except except for, one, for party, one party. One party at my house that was in grad school that I didn't even know he was there for. Yeah, and, I was uh, upstairs. He was downstairs. That's it. And then uh, we actually crossed paths for the first time out in Dallas, Texas. Simon was out there with me for 12 weeks? 12 weeks. Yeah, 12 weeks. That was it. That was my well, second clinical rotation there. And it was fantastic. So uh, so why don't you, I'm, I'm not going to give anything away. Why don't you, I was super excited to get you on here and so we could talk about this stuff. So where do you work? What do you kind of do on a daily so, basis? Yeah, so Pre, after, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. So the way the way Q does it uh, for people that don't know is that like after our last clinical rotation we take our board exam in October, so I had a while to do my search and because my girlfriend works for a big hospital in New York City that was the area where we wanted to be, so I ended up taking a job at a big outpatient orthopedic clinic that's hospital based. Um, the reason why I decided to be hospital-based is because I was trying to get away from, you know, your typical mill, um, and I wanted that guarantee that I wasn't going to have to see three, four patients an hour. 
uh, this place also has a sports performance center with a few exercise physiologists. So for me to kind of get that experience right in New York City. And uh, the reason why I also took that job is because we see literally everyone. So Medicare, Medicaid, I mean, all insurances. So for me, I know that down the road, I want to work with athletes, amateur, pro, college, whatever it is. But I felt like I wanted to be well-rounded first and just make sure that I do a good job at the basics, working with everyone and kind of challenge myself in like a situation that might not be comfortable day in and day out. So that's why I picked that. So as we've learned it, as we've learned and heard, it actually ended up paying off this day and time to, uh, working on right right so fortunately i mean i'm sure we'll talk about it through the podcast but fortunately you know we're still um, we're still working at this time in different ways but we still have a job and like it, we can't take that for granted right now yeah so forget forget pt for a second so i've been kind of with all my courses i've been teaching i've been i've been starting out by introducing myself as a human so I, you know i've learned tons of these ideas that write like we can't let our jobs identify ourselves. So aside from PT, I mean, you said it, you're in the epicenter of, of all of this or through COVID. It is now June 19th. So we're, we're three months through the shit. So what was it like in New York, living in New York, working in New York? What was that? What was that experience like for all these people that have no idea? So the interesting part too is, right. I'm French. So I got to kind of get, some info coming from home as early as like i mean covid started to get bad back home a few weeks before the u.s i would say it was like a two to three weeks um window where friends got bad and then the u.s got bad especially new york and so it was strange because as as you all know like the the initial response was oh, you know, it's like the flu, you know, people get it. Some obviously don't do well, but most people will recover, et cetera. So you'd start to see more masks um, in general and uh, in the subway. And the clinic was still very busy. It was like early March. But people were starting to ask questions. Oh, should I be coming in, et cetera? And we didn't really have any guidance yet from our management team just because no one really had any idea, right? I think everyone was in the same boat. Nobody knew anything. Nobody knew anything. Um, but on the streets in New York, things were pretty much the same. Until things got bad. <laughs> and... From like a professional standpoint, things got bad when we started realizing that one, the caseload was dropping like crazy, but two, we were also getting information from you know the hospital that hey, like this is this needs to be taken very seriously. We're gonna not have to call patients to cancel appointments for first it was for the next week, then it extended to the next two weeks, then three weeks, et cetera. Um, and so by mid-March, my job day in and day out was to just see post-op patients and cancel everyone else because telehealth was not yet in place. Yeah. And so that's when that's when things outside of you know the PT world got for me even crazier because 
subways were empty and streets were empty. And so that was just completely different. You know, everything was shut down. Uh, I sent you a few pictures. It looked yeah, like we that. were in 40 seconds. It looked like a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it was, it was literally like the movie I'm legend, you know, streets were very empty. And, um, so, and that's when we heard from hospitals and everywhere, you know, in New York that things were, things were bad. And, um, yeah, we started biking to work, uh, city bike. Thanks to them, they gave us uh, a free membership so that we could avoid public transportation. And honestly, that, that was, that was a blessing in disguise because no one wanted to take a subway really. Yeah. And the buses were also free. Um, but the, the reason why they were free is because they didn't want people to go through the front of the bus. So essentially you had to enter through the uh, back door in which case they didn't have to make you pay. Right. Um, but it was weird. I mean, you could really, the only people that were out were essential workers. Um, and it was just very, very strange. And it still is in some kind of ways. I mean, uh, as things slowly reopen, uh, people are still cautious, very, very cautious. Yeah. When I'm the, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I'm saying I'm in the suburbs right now, right? So I'm back in New York for a little bit, and it's just different here comparing it to Texas. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like people in Texas just aren't taking it seriously at all. Um, nobody's right. wearing masks. And, you know, it was crazy when, when Tori and I got here and we go into the bagel place, you know, like the pizzeria, the deli. And everywhere you go, it doesn't matter where you go, there's a sign on the door, like, please wear a mask, mask required for entrance, like all – and everywhere you go, people have masks on. Like, it's not, it's not a question here. Whereas, yeah. I think everywhere else, other, other places in the country, we were all like, hey, right. like in Texas, before we left, 25% of people were masks, if that, if that. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I think now it's, it's really ingrained in, you know, what you should be doing day in and day out. The mask is just a no-brainer. Um, right. And I think it really, I mean, thankfully, our families weren't affected by it in, you know, any difficult ways. I mean, uh, my girlfriend has tested positive for antibodies and I'm pretty sure I had it too, like most of the clinic, but right. thankfully we were healthy and things got better. But I think the tough part was when, you know, calling patients and asking, making sure that everything was okay. And then they would tell us, oh, so-and-so is in the ICU, blah, blah, blah. And that's when it hits home. And so it's understandable for other states to don't feel as affected because it doesn't hit them personally. Right. But at the same time, it's also a social responsibility to kind of go through those steps to yeah. avoid what's happening now, which is like an increasing cases everywhere. Right. Texas is just spiking up. It's becoming quickly, rapidly becoming one of the most dangerous places to live in the United States. Right. So... And uh, yeah, mask and washing hands. It's it's obviously it's it, it it takes it takes education and but once you get used to it, it's not bad. And no one can yeah. breathe with a mask anyways. But you just get no, used to it. We're all on the same boat. Right. Yeah. So we've got an athletic trainer, four years of school athletic training, three years of PT. Excited to start the PT world. Started his job. Started working, and then COVID happened, and you were repurposed. So what tell everybody like what what happened like what was your new job what were you doing 
Yeah, so it's crazy because right now, I think today, no, next Monday is going to be the end of my probation period. So I have a six-month probation period. I spend more time repurposed in a new job than actually working as a PT. The glory of working for a union. Which, uh, if I ever, if someone had told me that before, I'd be like, you're, you're crazy. So, but when things started to get, you know, more intense and caseload was dropping and we were telling people to kind of stay home and not come to the PT visits, then there was a kind of round of volunteering that occurred. So people in our clinic were asked to volunteer to be part of a prone mobility team working in the ICU. And first I wanted to do that, but at the time I was living with you know my girlfriend's brother, his wife, and they had a little baby. And so didn't want to take the risk to bring anything yeah. home. So I decided to say no. And instead the next day I got a call to be redeployed to food donation services and my job ended up being uh, taking care of receiving and delivering donations from many different vendors to all the hospital workers so we were set up in the cafeteria we would also go to the different floors and we were getting tons of meals like thousands of meals every day and it was changing we were working monday through i mean i wasn't working monday through sunday but the service was operating then and that was my job completely different Crazy. customer customer service at the end of the day um, right same thing but uh, but it was just yeah delivering delivering meals and uh trying to bring smile to people and uh you'd be surprised i mean the amount of donation that we received was unbelievable um there was um a chef that specializes in kind of crisis situations um that you know was in that had his team in new york city so they were cooking meals like 500 600 meals a day um and then local businesses were coming in and dropping meals for us and that was just i mean the medical stuff was super thankful because especially at the peak of it you just there was barely any downtime so yeah. and people people were you know stressed stressed to come in right because you you were afraid that you were going to be affected by by COVID as well. So everyone, that, yeah. This led to you know people not having to go to the grocery store and things like that. So people were thankful. But also like what I realized too is that it also keeps those restaurants sort of open, right? And yeah. that's also allowing workers, cooks, and you know essential workers to keep their job as opposed to kind of wait until COVID was over. So that was that. Damn. So now I'm, I'm doing something different. I was going to say, you got repurposed again. I got repurposed again. So at the beginning of June, food donations were um, put on hold. Things were getting better. And um, so we also had a food truck outside of the hospital that had from the New York Food Truck Association, and they just had coffee, snacks, and meals as well. So as we stopped delivering food to the floors and in the cafeteria, the food truck uh, took over for a few more weeks. And I was repurposed to uh, working for the patient relations center. So completely different again. Very different. Working, 
working from home this time and uh, answering phone calls all day from family members. The main reason they needed a lot of people there, and I don't, I, there's so many people working for that department right now, is because uh, there were no visitors for the hospital at all. Any, so, any unit? Any unit, no visitors. There were very few exceptions uh, for minors or if the team granted an exception uh, for X or Y reason. But uh, in most cases for any adult patient, COVID or non-COVID, there, no, there are no visitors just to keep everyone safe. Yeah. So families had to call this number in order to get updates from the medical team. And so we were in charge of, and we still are, in charge of connecting them with the team. And then we also deal with, you know, various requests, um, questions, concerns, et cetera. So again, not PC related, but definitely customer service. Yeah. Just big, big customer service. And so that's what I'm in, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. And I'll be doing it for an unknown period of time right now. Who knows how long. So we had, so you had the customer service line, right, or the hotline prone repositioning team, food donations. Was there anything else that people were reserviced? Oh yeah, so many. So every, yeah, every time I received a call to be repurposed, I was given different choices. At the beginning of it, um, people needed help at the morgue as well. Um, as sad as it sounds, just because there were so many casualties and so yeah. many deaths from COVID. Um, there's also people that were working in the lab, uh, analyzing samples, so working as a lab technician. There are also people redeployed to this crisis unit where you would essentially kind of be a messenger for the team and kind of bring um, various packages to and from different hospitals uh, for that unit. Uh, just so that, you know, if if someone at a hospital needed something, you'd be in charge of, you know, organizing that and sending it over. Uh, we've had, what else? I think, I think those were the main jobs, but pretty much anywhere where the hospital felt like there was a need, that's where people were redeployed in order to keep you employed as well. I think they made a big effort to try to keep everyone uh, busy in, in a safe way uh, without having to furlough anyone, which was nice. Big. It's yeah. the benefit of working for a union. Right. And so and without without going into crazy detail, there were no like there were no salary cuts with all the repositioning, right? Everyone was able to no. keep their salary, whatever that was. Yeah. And I think you know I think every hospital and every clinic handles it differently based on right. their financial situation. Thankfully, thankfully we didn't have that. I mean, and we're right out of school, right? So yeah, we all got things to pay between, you know, different loans and whatnot. So it obviously was a concern, but I think everyone's on the same boat. So on the individual level, that's, I think that's the commitment you, you make when working for someone is that you won't get to make those decisions anymore. Yeah. So, that's I think even for a new grad or anyone who decides to like figure out what their first job is, is that something to consider as well. You might not be able to work for yourself right away, but those are the sacrifices that right 
especially now. I mean, those situations might come up more often than we'd like to. Right. Hey, I know, man. It's been seven years I've been working in sports medicine, and I'm still didn't get to make the decision. Still not working, right? So it's mm-hmm. like you said, when you work for someone else, you have to serve other people, and then that's the reality. You got to do your part. And so, unfortunately, exactly. it happens to all of us, depending on the settings that we're in. So, mm-hmm. what has I guess this whole experience, right, being in the hospital, seeing COVID firsthand in New York, in Manhattan, in the epicenter, working and kind of taking the phone calls and seeing the, you know, healthcare workers and working with those frontline people and, you know, everything that's been going on in New York, how has that really changed your views as being a PT, changed your views as of the profession, you know, you as a whole, you know, as a PT, has it changed any philosophies for you, stuff like that? So I think that, you know, more than like changing your views as as a PT, because as you said, like, that's that's what we do, but it doesn't necessarily define who we are. It really, like this whole situation, I think, challenges people like as like human beings. Because I think the people who are doing better right now, from you know the standpoint of being able to handle the situation, were the ones that demonstrated just you know being able to be flexible, um, compassion, willingness to help, and have like a high degree of emotional intelligence and the people that were having difficulties displaying such skills, whether they were PTs or not, I think probably had a more difficult time with the whole situation. Let's say being at home, not being able to do anything and whatnot. And I think all those skills and uh, traits like emotional intelligence, flexibility, compassion, all those things kind of relate to you as a person, but also like this is what you need to be doing as a PT. And so it shows how important it is. I think like it almost reminded me of uh, our Bedard's class back then, way back Back in the day. And when you look back at it, that's probably the most important class that we had. Yeah. It was just, how to interact with people, uh, how to be as a human being in society. And so I think that if anything, this whole situation emphasizes those characteristics that we should be striving for. Because as you said, like, for example, the whole Max situation, I'm, I tend to think that I'm a healthy individual. So if I wasn't wearing a mask, I probably would have less chance of getting very sick compared to someone else. But it's my social responsibility to to do those things, to kind of keep everyone in check and keep myself in check. So, Right. And I think, I think where people lost it, it's like, well, I'm fine. I'm not going to get sick. And and that's the problem. It's not that it's okay. You may get sick and you may be fine, but you don't need to transmit that virus to somebody else. You don't need to give it to the old lady standing next to you at the supermarket who then dies because she got COVID and now you're responsible. Yeah. And I think in the areas where COVID hit the population hard for us as PTs, there's going to be a big job in, you know, screening people when they're first coming in to see you. Is it something that they were affected by? Uh, Either, you know, personally they had COVID uh, in which case, you might want to be looking at other things that you probably wouldn't have looked at before, maybe endurance, right. little things like that. And that's probably 
I'm talking more for the general population. Right. And even athlete, if an athlete is, is affected by, I mean, their cardiopulmonary system is going to be affected. Yeah. Um, but also from an emotional component, I mean, if, if they lost someone close, um, I mean, as we know, like sometimes chronic pain starts from, you know, emotional events that occurred in someone's life. And so, yeah, man, the biopsychosocial approach is real. All right. So even down the road, you know, you might, you might see people that started experiencing some symptoms that were completely unrelated to yeah. anything we could be thinking about, but maybe that's, that was the start of it. So that'll be, that'll be very interesting to, to see where this goes. I'm also thinking like research studies were like completely put on hold. So I wonder yeah. if like from, from a research standpoint, like if this is going to delay things, and if so, by how much, right? I mean, I guess every study that was in the middle of testing procedures kind of just lost everything. I mean, yeah. So I, I wondered all your methods and right. So yeah, because it changes the subjects quite a bit. It changes uh, everything. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I don't know enough about research right now. I'm sure they have ways to kind of uh, analyze that those changes due to such circumstances but that'll yeah. be that'll be very interesting it'll be interesting so did you feel at all like through all of this have you felt nervous you were going to lose your skills have you felt nervous that you were going to like forget how to be a pt you know like i know you've been doing tons of stuff we've been talking you've been trying to keep yourself i mean just like i've been doing trying to keep yourself stimulated and reading and learning you know have you been nervous at all like man i haven't done manual therapy and who knows how long like I haven't done this in six months. What's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, my my experience as a PT is pretty pretty small, so still learning a lot. Like I'm soaking everything in. Uh, I really feel like uh, you're. I'm at this point of the career where like you feel like uh, you you got out of school and then it's a, this whole different world of okay, I got to learn so much stuff, and I'm still I'm still here, and I want to be here at some time. So in terms of specific skills, not so much. I mean, I in my current practice, uh, I practice slightly differently than the way I practice uh, with you at Exo, just because of the population. Yeah, of uh, course. I try, I, tr I try to kind of foster patients' self-efficacy, and so I try to I try to stay use my hands. Uh, not the least amount possible, but uh, I'm very cautious to to make sure that someone I really want them to stay as independent as possible, especially in a in an environment where if I don't share that information with the patient, they they might want to go somewhere else, especially in right. New York. You have a clinic next door, so from it's a like Starbucks. standpoint, right? PT <laughs> clinics in New York are like Starbucks. Yeah, it's and you get. You get anywhere from the two dollar latte to the twenty dollar latte. Get it all. Um, but I think this has been a good time, as you said, to kind of reflect on my practice so far, where I want to go, and look at different avenues that I might be interested in in looking into. So, and that just goes with you know reading, reaching out, people on social media, kind of looking what's out there 
and then hopefully we'll be able to implement it at some point. I just don't know exactly when that. Fingers is. crossed. Yeah, man. I I think it's I think it's real interesting. I think uh, for anyone who's listening, I think it's it's a good point. Something interesting to think about, right? I think we talked about a little bit of this identification and how people. I feel bad for anybody who was unable to separate themselves from their profession. Um, and if anything, this time away from work has taught me that I am ultimately everything could be stripped away from me at any point in time, right? We've learned that. You learned that being in New York, um, right? What we do can be taken away from us at any point. And so I feel bad for anybody who can't separate themselves from their work. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. What I think is amazing to hear is we have so many young professionals that are realizing this. And I think the people who didn't struggle are the young professionals, the people who have not been doing this forever. And I think the people who have been struggling are the ones that are actually a little bit older. And I don't mean that to say like they have more bills to pay, right? Cause shit, I got bills to pay. Um, you know, but I think those people who've been doing this and have never had to test themselves in reality and what life is all about. Um, and never have to question like, who am I as a person? not who am I as a therapist. I think we do a really good job of questioning our ability professionally, but I think where we're, we saw a lot of people struggle with these people that were like, I've been a PT for so long. I don't know what to do without PT. I don't know what to do without going to work. I've never had to spend this much time at home. Like, what do I do? And so I think young people were able to find alternative ways. And, you know, the young professionals are just like, we're good. We're mobile, right? This millennial mentality of we can make things work. We can do things more Instagram accounts now than I've ever seen before. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's great to hear, you know, it's awesome to listen to. I've talked to so many new grads, you know, so many students that have just finished school, haven't even started working yet. Everyone's still so optimistic, you know, and then you get these old heads that have been working and they're just like, I need to be in work. I need to be at work. We need to help people. And it's like, ah, you need to like be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And that's where, Initially, the conversation also was brought up, like, you know, are outpatient physical therapy services essential in this kind of situation? Of course, yes, they're essential in some way, but are you really essential? Right. And, and it was, I've talked to multiple people too. It's, it's going to be interesting to see who who comes back after this to our clinic? Are we going to see brand new uh, people coming in to see us? Uh, are we going to see the people that were already coming to us and now that are still struggling with their issues? Uh, or are these people better? And time just help them. Right. And I think that it'll, it'll be an interesting experiment to kind of look back at our caseload and see, okay, like, who am I not seeing now? Who's, who doesn't need my help anymore? And time, I think, is very, very valuable. And especially, like, for me as a new, as a new grad, it's when you're seeing patients, you feel like you're trying to, you're trying to help people as, you're trying to help them get better as quickly as possible. But, can't forget that time is also essential in that kind of situation. Well, I think the look, body's think amazing. The, the body's amazing. And I think if we prove that in a time of need, we were able to do telehealth across the country and people got better. I don't think we are essential. Like, I think it's a hard pill to swallow, but like as outpatient therapists, we're not essential. Like if we were able to do PT 
via a computer like this and get people better, then I don't know that we need to be going, we needed to be going into the clinic, right? Like, I think we need to pay attention to that stuff. If someone has symptoms, it doesn't mean we can't treat them, but like maybe there's an alternative option for us in this new world that we're kind of gonna start living in or we are living in. Yeah, yeah and I think it all depends on everyone's definition of essential. But right. it's been fun, like even even in the city, like, I was um, taking a few training classes from other PT clinics who are providing training sessions uh, for free at this time where they're like asking donations to various causes and they're getting a great turnout and it's getting people moving and it's just that's another avenue that people can start looking into as well as, as physical therapists you the your job may not just be you know treating patients day in and day out maybe it's providing right. that you know um, that kind of setting where you could work with many people at one time and just helping them with like their general physical preparedness or making them more athletic just in general so they can live life better yeah simon final thoughts life moving forward in new york as a pt after covid the wave is we are starting to come down any final thoughts any words of wisdom to other pts living in other areas the floor is yours yeah things things still aren't over uh it's the summer's around the corner and it's tempting to kind of go back to what we did before i think we still need to be pretty cautious i mean we we saw it even from like new york hasn't entered phase two yet and people were starting to open up places and things like that and people higher up were like come on hold you had a few more weeks to to kind of hold this situation now is not the time to kind of let loose so i think that's that's one big thing because i feel like as a as a population here in new york we've done pretty well in terms of how the situation was handled oh yeah um i don't know when we'll go back to the clinic that's uh that's really up in the air and i'm now i'm okay with that right because i can't affect that myself right it's not like i'm a business owner right now owning a clinic and i lost all my revenue so on that end i'm blessed to be in a situation where i don't have to worry as much about when i'm going to go back to the clinic and so if anyone is in that same situation that's the time to work on other things whether it's yourself your relationship things you want to learn about and so there's there's a whole lot more out there that now you have all this time so and it's one thing too is for pts i guess relating back to the field like i know our clinic is starting to set up some research studies for msk patients coming in with uh, comorbidity of covid so that's probably something to look into across the country as well see if we find similar results and yeah. what the implications are for for our field so so we'll see but things things are hopefully getting better and i think they are we just have to keep it moving fingers crossed so eloquently put 
Well, I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm so glad we were finally able to connect and talk about this stuff. Um, appreciate your passion for the profession always. Um, so if anybody listening wants more information, um, wants to ask Simon any other questions, find out more about kind of what New York's been like or what he does on a daily basis, um, feel free to reach out to him on Instagram. His handle is S Brossier. S Brossier. Um, so you can feel free to reach out to him, ask him questions, follow him along on his journey. He does not post often, but when he does post, it's always great. Always post good knowledge. So if you're interested, reach out to him. Sir, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Always Thank a you pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Of course. Stay well. Bye.